Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 20? Remember last time, the church, <laughs> the first Baptist church of Israel was in a shouting match. You remember that? Israel and Judah. And it closed out saying that Judah had the strongest yelling capacity, I guess. Well, that story continues here in 2 Samuel 20. David has not even gotten back into Jerusalem and somebody sees an opportunity to cause a split. If you study the general history of Israel after the time of the judges, well, during the time of the judges, they were just individual tribes and they would come together every once in a while. But after the time of the judges, Saul, the first king, came into a consolidated kingdom because he was the people's choice. And of course, he failed. But then David, and we, you may remember how all the people came together and they wanted David after Saul was killed in battle. And David had been so heroic in so many ways. But there was, there was, there was never a real solid um, joining of the northern tribes and, and Judah. Judah was always... The biggest tribe, as a matter of fact, it's been said that the tribe of Judah alone had more people than all the other tribes put together. So it was a very large, strong tribe, the southern, the, the tribe of Judah. Judah had the specific, and this was in Genesis 49, came from the hand and mouth of Jacob on his dying bed as Yahweh gave him inspiration. He promised and prophesied that Judah, who at that time was one of his 12 sons, would be the one to bring forth the king when they all became a nation. Now that, that prophecy is not lost anywhere across the scriptures. You read the writings of Moses and it was the tribe of Judah who led the march and the other tribes were to the side and behind and they were always known to be the ones who carried the promise of the Christ. So from Judah would come the Christ, the king. You would think these other tribes would be a little softer about that, but they weren't. A lot of human pride here. Of course, Satan was at work, I'm sure, in the hearts of all these people. David has not yet completely brought the kingdom back to where it should have been prior to Absalom's rebellion. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done to bring everything together and to make the kingdom uh, to, to solidify the kingdom once again. So enter this guy 
named Sheba. And we're going to, this is really just a continuation of what was happening in uh, chapter 19. So let's just keep it going from there. Now there chanced to be there a base man. In other words, he was not a good fellow. In the book of Acts, you may recall those who were hired by the Sanhedrin to bring a false accusation against Jesus. The Bible calls them, or against Peter and Paul, and then earlier in the Gospels against Jesus, it called them men of a baser sort. That's King James writing. Well, these are, this is a guy of a baser sort whose name was Sheba, son of Bichri, a Benjamite. Now, Saul, the first king, was a Benjamite. There has ever since David came to the throne a significant party of people who continued to try to reestablish the household of Saul onto the throne, a descendant of Saul or a kindred of Saul. So that it's a Benjamite, and of course there was this struggle that Saul carried on against David, and David ran and hid from Saul and did everything he could do without coming to a clash with him. But finally David won the day, and the household of Saul, of course, resented that. The Benjamites would bring some trouble all along. It could be that this guy was either kindred, he was kin to Saul, doesn't say, but it says he was a Benjamite, at least that far he was kin to him. And Benjamites, they were the smallest of the tribes and they obviously had a great deal of pride in that Saul, one of their number, became king of the whole bunch of them. Well, he's a man of a baser sort. He blew a shofar and declared, we have no portion of David, neither have we an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So this man, Sheba, calls the 10 tribes of Israel, the, the 10 tribes plus Benjamin, calls the rest of the tribes to arms against David. David, on his way back into Jerusalem, they've just gone through a bloody war, civil war, and this guy doesn't want to let it go. And all the men of Israel went up from after David, following Sheba, the son of Bechri, but the men of Judah cleaved to their king from the Jordan until Jerusalem. Judah remains loyal to David. But the men of Israel here say, we don't have any part with David. So let Israel, every man of Israel, go to his own tents. In other words, this was a call. Let me back up a little bit. David had established as the king before the time of Absalom a a citizen-based army, generally speaking. Now, he had professional soldiers. 
But when they went to war, they'd have to blow trumpets and they would call civilian men together and they would come in and form the better part of the army that David would take out. So the call was that it was just like this call, every man to his tent. This means come home and await further orders. So this is what Sheba is doing. He's calling all of Israel to assemble that they might reject David and if they have to go to war against him. But Judah cleaved to their king, that is David, from the Jordan until Jerusalem. So this is a full-blown insurrection. No other way to look at it. It was civil war with Absalom. And just when it looks like everything is going to settle down, here comes this guy, and here's another insurrection. Now, here's the point. It is this... It is this division between Israel and Judah that continues on until after Solomon's death when his son Rehoboam becomes king. And because he was a weak king, uh, Jeroboam, some of the stronger minded people of the northern kingdom came together and they saw their opportunity to split from the southern kingdom of Judah because Rehoboam was such a weak leader. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to hold them together. David is going to give the lesson on how to do that here. And he probably should have listened to his, or at least read the story of how his granddaddy dealt with it. But now he has a full-blown insurrection and this will affect the kingdom. It will affect the security of the kingdom. Not just that, however, it is an insult to David regarding his position as the king and it is further an insult to Yahweh who has established that covenant with David. All kinds of things wrong here with this insurrection. David came to his house in Jerusalem and the king took the 10 women who were his concubines whom he had left to keep the house and he put them in a guardhouse where he sustained them, but he never came upon them again. And they remained bound as widows with their husband yet alive until the day they died. Okay. Got an insurrection blowing up over here. But as long as the harem of David was still there, there was a breach, a major breach in the protocol. We'll go back a couple of chapters or so, and Absalom, when he had taken the city of Jerusalem, paraded the concubines of David. They were supposed to be his wives, his women. In that culture in that day, 
One of the first things a conquering king did when he came into the capital city was to take the harem of the former king and make a big deal out of becoming intimate with all of those women. So this is a well-known thing. It was recorded like that as well. We studied it a few weeks ago. It was a well-known thing that Absalom had done this with these women, his concubines. So David comes in, he puts them away. He will never, ever be with them again in any way. He, puts, he takes care of them. He sustains them. But they're more or less under house arrest from then on. Because they're obvious. They, they allowed themselves to be paraded by Absalom in front of all the people in Jerusalem. That meant that they were in agreement with what was happening and were to be seen or viewed as treasonous. So first, first order of business is to let the people see that now he's the king and these treasonous women are put away and the people will take note of that. So this strengthens his position as the king. And the king said to Amasa, call together for me the men of Judah within three days and then be here present. Be here. You remember Amasa, he was, he was the commander of Jeroboam's army, uh, not Jeroboam, uh, Absalom's army. So he was the enemy of David, but David now has accepted Amasa's loyalty and because Joab did many things, but one of the things that he did was he killed Absalom when he had orders not to. David replaces Joab, you may recall, with Amasa. So he calls the commander of his armies, get all the men of Judah together. He sees what Israel is doing. He sees what Sheba is doing. Bring together all the men of Judah It'll take you about three days and be here with me. Okay, so Amasa went to call together the men of Judah, but he tarried past the set time which he had appointed him. David said to Abishai, now Sheba the son of Bichri will cause us more harm than did Absalom. Therefore take your Lord's servants. Now these would be the mighty men and the inner the inner group, the, the personal bodyguards, the really, really bad dudes, the, the, the strong warriors of David. And pursue after him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and save himself before our eyes. Now, there's no telling what Sheba could say to people. Um, there may still be some people in Israel who really don't want someone from Judah after they had lost Saul as king. All kinds of problems could have come about, but there were fortified cities across the land and all he had to do was hole up in one of them or take more than one of them and David would have a problem. Joab's men went after him with the archers and the slingers. Now these are the personal bodyguards of David and all the warriors and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba the son of Bichri. Thereafter, Sheba. 
They're going to put an end to it. David knows he can't waste any time. He's going to deal with it straight and hard, and he's going to crush it. And one of Joab's young men stood by him, and he said, He that favors Joab and he that is for David, let him follow Joab. Now, next verse. Amasa was wallowing in his, it could read his blood. It was in his blood. He had been gutted by a sword. Now we know, reading the greater context, that Joab killed him. There was another guy that was going to take Joab's place. He killed him. So Joab would have, would have taken care of business. but was going to make it look like something else. So here's, here he is wallowing in his blood in the middle of the highway. And the man saw that all the people remained standing. And so he veered Amasa off the highway into the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him stood still. That's kind of funny. Well, it is to me. Here's a guy. He's bleeding to death. His entrails are probably hanging out. And he was the commander of the armies. And he said, one of you guys, you need to help me here. Nope. So what do you do with a guy that's dying a horrible death? Throw a bag over him and drag him off into the field, get him off the highway. That's what they did. When he was removed from the highway, all the people passed on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's just funny to me. I just, I see these traffic cops and I see lights flashing and a couple of good old boys putting Amasa into a bag and he said, oh, drag him off into the field. And then the cops start going, you know, okay, you go this way, you go that way. That's how it was. I know it was that way. So it didn't bother them at all. And they just kept marching. And he passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and to Beth Meacha and all the Berites. And they gathered together and they went after him too. And they came. Okay, so this is the city. This is where he holed up in the fortified city, Sheba. And they came and they besieged him in Abel of Beth Baacha. And they spilled dirt to form a mound against the city. And it stood with only its inner wall. And all the people that were with Joab were battering to throw down the wall. Now that would have taken some time. You have thousands of men who are moving dirt. And they're building a mound that is taller than the city wall. Remember the archers and the slingers, the, the guys that would sling rocks? They could get atop that mound and just start killing people. Above the wall, it was a single wall. Larger cities would have more than one wall. So if one wall, the outer wall was breached, they still had more to do. Not the case here with Abel. So there was a wise, there was this old woman inside the city. Joab is going to destroy the city and everybody in it. She knew this. 
And a wise man called a wise woman called out from within the city. Hear, hear, say, I pray you to Joab, come closer to here that I may speak to you. And he came near to her and the woman said, are you Joab? And he said, I am. She said to him, hear the words of your handmaid. He said, I'm listening. She spoke saying, surely they should have spoken first to hear what they have to say. Had they inquired of the people of Abel, so would they have made peace. In other words, these guys have come in here. We didn't invite them here. They have set themselves up like this is their fortified city. But those of us who live in this city are people of peace. This is not our doing. If they would have sent somebody in here and spoken with us before they just came in and took everything over, then things would have been better than this. She continues, I am of those who are peaceful and faithful to Israel. Why then do you seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel? A reminder that the destruction not only would be Sheba and his forces, but also innocent people, including mothers who have children. Why should you swallow up the inheritance of Yahweh. We all are the people of Yahweh. Just so that you can gain an advantage over Sheba, why would you do this to the rest of us? A war of attrition. Why would you destroy everything and kill innocent people who don't really want these guys in here? Why would you come in and do that. We're the inheritance of Yahweh, just like you are, and just like David is. So these are words of wisdom from a, an old woman. And Joab answered, far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or that I should destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of the hills of Ephraim named Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted his hand against the king, against David. Give us him alone. And I will depart from the city. And the woman said to Joab, and remember, she's a peaceful woman and they're peaceful people. We're going to cut his head off and throw it out to you over the wall. <laughs> I get this. I get this picture of some guy trying and he bangs the head against the wall. and He can't get it over the wall. Anyway. That's the gospel according to Charles. It may or may not have happened that way. So they threw his head out over the wall. And the, the city of the peaceful people and the peaceful woman was spared. They killed him, cut his head off, threw it over the wall. Now, the woman came to all the people in her wisdom. They cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. He's to the 50, the 45, the 40. I really enjoy reading Old Testament stuff. And he blew the shofar. See, that says, end of the fourth quarter. And they dispersed from the city. Every man to his tents 
And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. So this meant this shofar now was the sending every man back to his tent from whence they were gathered. And so they leave in peace. I'm sure they took one look at this determined army under the leadership of Joab, the army that David had sent to stop this insurrection, whatever it took. Listen, David's army had just come off of a victory where they killed 20,000 people who had sided with Absalom. So this is not going to be a big deal for David to make sure that everything is brought back like it should be. And they knew that. So they went back home and Joab returned to, to Jerusalem to the king. Now here in the last part, David continues to rebuild his government, his administration. And we just have these points that are made here. Joab was over the entire army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the archers and the slingers. They were the personal royal bodyguard. Aram was over the tribute. Now those were, those, those were a lot of, there's a lot of debate over what that means, but they, they probably were people who had been captured and were made useful and maybe even paid a wage, but they were under very strict control. So this guy was over them, I don't know, and those people were very important to that economy and to the estate and uh, administration of David. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was scribe, and Zadok and Abiatar were priests, and Era the Jairite, was a chief official to David. Now this is the point of these last four verses. Everything's all right now. David is back into absolute control. There won't be any more insurrections as long as David is king. Every aspect of government is now under firm and strong leadership. And David has taken the most qualified and best men who were available and he has placed them into the positions where they could serve the king in the best way. So now what we learn at this point is that the kingdom belongs to David as it should be. Now, I believe the remainder of 2 Samuel, and we will get to it, you may have noted that uh, during all of this David and Bathsheba and all this stuff, you may have noted that there was no parallel passage in First Chronicles. You know, we've been following First Chronicles and Samuel together. But First Chronicles will rejoin because what, what is left in Second Samuel is just an appendix of certain event, adventures of, of King David uh, and his army and, and his nation. Very interesting stuff. But God willing, we'll get there next time. And right now we'll have our deacon prayer time.